Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, LD here. Just a little note. This episode of Rock and Roll Heaven is totally explicit in every single way possible. So no little ears on this episode. Probably going to be the same for next episode. Am I right, Travis? Absolutely, Chairman. Therefore, listener discretion is advised. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is my little bunny, Will the Thrill. Hello! Oh, we went with, we. this is a break from the norm. Yeah, I was feeling the Mrs. Doubtfire slash Queen of England, two impressions that I have gracefully rolled into one, and just figured we'd do that. Well, well done, sir. Yeah, well I done. Do. And... My big brother from the exact same mother, Mr. TJ2, the storyteller, Deuce. Howdy. Hi, TJ. How are you? Good. Did I traumatize you last week with the watermelon discussion? We don't need to talk about the watermelon. <laughs> watermelon. Okay. Thank you. We're good. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. No more watermelon. I don't want any. I don't want to eat watermelon. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to smell it. I threw some soap away that was in the shape of a watermelon. Thank you for traumatizing me. Hey, no problem. Well, you've been doing that since I was born. I've heard people for a long time talk about plugged watermelons. And I didn't know that's what. I don't think that's what it means. I thought that meant they put a bottle of booze in yeah. it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's, that is what it means. So anyway, do we have any kind of business or updates or anything like that? I don't think so. Okay. All right. Sweet. Well, then I guess this is very early on, but I guess we'll take our very first short sponsor break and we will be right back hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of raycon earbuds around the house and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price and yes she loves them now if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of raycons or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we are back. All right. So, Travis, I'm going to hand the reins over to you and guide us through this. What I can only assume is going to be more slap nuttery because it hasn't gotten any better. And I feel like it's going to get worse. 
Yeah, we crossed a certain bridge today that the two of you have known is coming, and uh, a lot of the listeners might, but I'll uh, save it for a special surprise. I will throw out, even though LD already offered an explicit content warning, so if they were selling us at Walmart in the 1990s, there would be like a picture of a commode on the front of the CD, and it would say sanitized for your protection. Oh my you remember God, those? I, re- I remember that. Oh, I, don't I, remember do, yeah. the, I don't remember the toilets, but I remember the sanitized for your protection. That part of the yeah. Tipper Gore movement, though. Yeah. I think so. That's yeah. I think like Kmart and Walmart mainly did that, where they would they have albums you wanted, but they were edited. And I can think of one example, but I don't know if LD would want me to give it or not. Can I give it? Sure. Meredith Brooks had a song called Bitch, and it was great. It's a bitch, I'm a lover, a child, a mother. I love that song. I still love it to this day because I am a child of the 90s and I was raised right. But I'm a if, cow. I can hover. Booby doo. Isn't that how it went? No, no, it did not. Okay. So close. Um, anyway, but if you picked up the CD at Walmart, if you picked up the CD single from Walmart, it just said Meredith Brooks, the song. It didn't say bitch on it. It said the song. What I was thinking of more was the uh, first release by Jackal, which as they recorded it, contained a song called She Loves My Cock. And if you bought it at Walmart, that song was just not there. <laughs> it was just absent from the album. And there, was, and there was a little sticker of a toilet on the front of the CD. And it said, sanitized for your protection. <laughs> Holy crap. And what does okay. Walmart have against roosters? Uh, I mean, you know, maybe they just don't like waking up early. I don't know. You know, it could have been. That's actually better than if they tried to edit the song and turn it into like, she loves my cochlea. And make it about wow. the song. suddenly they're singing about ears. Huh. What well, Weird Al might do with it. All right. He loves my cochlea. All right, moving on. But anyway, as I was saying, LD gave the explicit content warning. Even so, I normally do try to edit few words, try not to use the F word or blasphemes. But occasionally in this series, they're just going to be crucial to say to really hammer the point home. So again, if that offends you, if that offends you, you probably don't need to listen to this series. <laughs> Much less this one episode, just the entire series. Just come back when we talk about uh, whoever's next. Yeah, basically, I'm, you know, sorry. <laughs> but anyway, if you uh, if you two are ready, we will proceed with part seven, seven. of this Waylon is, Jennings. I do seven. believe that this is officially your longest series ever. It is, yeah. Eddie was fine. Uh, my right? longest prior to this was, uh, my, my longest prior to this was five parts of Tom Petty, which honestly should have been about 10 because I think all the episodes were like two and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, it would have been nice since I was editing those. And frankly, nobody wants to nobody wants to listen to me talk for two and a half hours. Well, thank God we've got an incredible editor in Michael. And so I don't have to listen to you more than once. <laughs> Michael, you are a right. saint. You yes. really are. <laughs> yes, you are. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Especially after the last two weeks. Oh, my God. Last week, it was it was more content. Two weeks ago, we basically handed him a big lump of clay and he had to sculpt and molded into the beautiful figure that it became i don't know how he saved it but he did one of these days we should just put out an unedited one like that and just let people let them see the sausage made like a director's cut yeah, nobody wants that <laughs> yes director's cut well in our last episode we introduced you to three very key figures in the life and career of waylon jennings those being musician tom paul glazer captain midnight who i don't know how to explain him court jester good at pinball lived in Wayland's closet, stuff like that. Kind of a go-between for Wayland and Tom Paul, and also the great Billy Joe Shaver. He wasn't the Captain Midnight who did the news crash, was he? Remember the famous, like, Max Headroom crash? That was a name, Captain Midnight. No, we'll no, look I, into that. no, I think Captain Midnight was the guy who took over HBO. It wasn't Max Headroom. But you know what I'm talking about, though, where Max Headroom uh, comes up and it's, like, all distorted yeah. and weird? Yeah, I know, but that was during an episode of Doctor Who, and okay. I don't think he ever gave a name. I think his alias was Captain Midnight. I don't think so. I've watched a lot of videos on this. I'm going to assume this is a different a different dude, but okay. who knows? We, we should probably just look it up. But anyway, we went yeah, over no, the- Yeah, no, the- it, was, it was HBO during the showing of The Falcon and the Snowman, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it wasn't- was it was an HBO hack where basically he hacked HBO and was like, the price is too damn high. So it wasn't the Max Hedrum one. That that person never had a name. Mm. There are a lot of things I know a little bit about and a little things that I know a lot about and hacks, uh, disasters, especially Chernobyl and horror films and ghost hunting and Broadway musicals. Those are the things I know the most about. Yep. When I think of hacks and disasters, I do think of you. Anyway, we went over the growing popularity of Waylon and Willie Nelson, 
the way they embraced the growing music scene in Austin, Texas, and Waylon's fondness for explosives, which he used to settle up, we'll say, with a club owner who stiffed he and his band on pay. That resulted in a big blow-up, which is interesting because Waylon was about to blow up the entire Nashville system. Now, we mentioned previously that Waylon's manager, Neil Reshin, had negotiated a lucrative new contract for Waylon, but it also gave him complete creative control of his music. Now, he took full advantage of that during the making of his Honky Tonk Heroes album, which we discussed last week. But RCA engineers were calling executive Jerry Bradley every 30 minutes to report on what Waylon was doing. As he started work on his next album, that trend continued. Now, to Waylon, creative control meant that the record company should leave him alone and let him make his music. He got so tired of their constant meddling and all the tattletailing that he just up and left, moving over to Hillbilly Central, which was the office and recording studio owned by his friend, Tom Paul Glazer. Waylon had already moved his offices into that building, too, and now it would be his 24-7 haunt. I would say that the place had the vibe of a frat house, but Waylon actually described it as being more like the campfire scene in Blazing Saddles. Huh. Willie Nelson visited sometimes. Chris would happen by Johnny Cash every once in a while. But Waylon said the main crew there was Captain Midnight, Tom Paul Glazer, their friend, songwriter, book writer, illustrator, awesome at everything, guy Shel Silverstein, Ron Hafkine, who was the producer for Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show, Ray Sawyer, who was Dr. Hook, Kinky Friedman, Jimmy Bowen, Lee Clayton, Billy Ray Reynolds, the great guy Clark, and Donnie Fritz. They stayed up for days at a time, writing, playing, recording, and just generally shooting the shit and wasting time. There were some odd pastimes on display occasionally. Captain Midnight, for example, was a big fan of throwing knives at targets, sometimes while other people were sitting very nearby in the room, just, huh. just flinging knives. Huh. Booze and drugs were plentiful, as you might imagine. But by this time, I can happily report that Waylon had kicked his lengthy addiction to speed pills, which were basically amphetamines. That sounds great, doesn't it? Oh, so yeah, that's so good. perfect. That's exactly where you want to be, said with absolutely yeah, yeah, any, he, any he, hint of sarcasm. Yeah, he stopped doing pills. But that's not as positive as it sounds, because in his search for a constant energy boost to keep him going as he roared on for days on end with no sleep, he had discovered cocaine. Well, there it is. Yeah. We knew it was coming. Now, he said, first of all, there were a lot of bad pills floating around on the streets. In a lot of cases, if you're on the road, you just had to get your pills where you could get them. So there was some danger from that perspective. But they were also very rough on his liver, which was still recovering from his bout with hepatitis. His drummer and right-hand man, Richie Albright, introduced him to Booger Sugar as a somehow slightly better-for-him substitute for amphetamines. Uh, Here, stab yourself instead of shooting yourself. Pretty much. At least it's organic? Right. Yes, it's organic. There you go. It's green. Yeah, right. Now, in Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus, Albright recollected that the first time Waylon did coke, he asked him how much a pound of it would cost. Quote, Waylon, you don't want a pound. That would be about $30,000, Albright said. Quote, Get us a pound, Waylon said. And it starts. Hey, that's like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to find like an equivalent. So, but I guess it's like, it's, I guess it's like you're used to flying in a a, a World War II biplane and then you just pick up the Concorde. Sort of. Can somebody whip out the calculator and figure out how many grams are in a pound? Because isn't a gram about a good line worth? I'm just wondering. 453.59 grams in a pound. Ah. Good Lord. Very good. So he bought 453 and a half snores. <laughs> oh, my God. Waylon found that the high that cocaine provided was quicker and harder than that of speed, but he also found that it lasted as long. He would have a very steady supply for some time to come. Of course, it also led to a lot of problems. Tales from the tour bus offered up one story that would have, would have been sometime in this time frame or shortly after. Waylon was playing a show in Fresno, California, and had given Richie Albright two small baggies of white powder to hold for him. Now, rather than have to keep up with two baggies and risk losing one or getting busted with it, he poured them both into one larger baggie. Unbeknownst to him, and probably the way too, what they had was not two baggies of cocaine. One was premium Colombian blow, but the other was a concoction known as Atlanta Dog, which was a wicked mixing of heroin and PCP. Good gravy. So the two of them laid out. I don't even have words. I just, I don't even have words. I just have weird noises. Uh Just just guttural sounds and grunting. Oh my God. So the two of them laid out a few lines of the heroin PCP Coke combo before the show. 
and snorted them. Now, Waylon always had an opening act or two on the road once he got more popular, and then he would have his band go out on stage and play a bit of a warm-up to rev up the crowd and build the excitement before Waylon would emerge in his signature leather with his signature cowboy hat and his signature leather tool guitar. Albright got behind his kit, and he picked up his drumstick, but he was starting to hallucinate, and he said that the drumsticks looked like they were Z-shaped. So he started swinging at the drums, but he was missing every time he tried to hit one. Oh, good God. So, so it just looks like he's swatting at flies or just flailing. It's just, he's not actually hitting them. Now, Waylon's oldest son was on the road with him by this time. Frantic crew members ran up to him and told him that his, his dad thought he was having a heart attack. And his son, Terry, found out what had happened. And he went to his dad's dressing room where Waylon was sprawled out on a table. Terry told him that he'd inadvertently snorted something other than cocaine, but he was going to be okay. Waylon somehow got out on stage, but as he started trying to play his guitar, his fingers repeatedly missed the strings. He couldn't remember the words to most of the songs. He mumbled a lot. He could barely stay awake. He almost had to be held up. Terry said it was the worst show he ever saw his dad have, but fans were so wrapped up in the spectacle of seeing Waylon that they somehow didn't notice, and they added it all up anyway. Lord. That's kind of when you arrived, isn't it? You can go out there and completely suck and not know the words, and your fingers aren't even touching your guitar strings, and people are like, whoa, Waylon! Wasn't that the Jimmy Buffett show where he was falling over drunk, you said? Yeah, my cousin went and saw... Was that level? Yeah. Yes, Jimmy Buffett, the old Charlotte Coliseum, late 80s, and he was really, really drunk, and he played for <laughs> 25 minutes, and I think he did one one of the same songs twice, and then he stumbled off the stage. <laughs> oh, and <man>. that was that. <laughs> Now, at the studio, with guys not sleeping much and getting messed up fairly often, there were mishaps here and there. Waylon, for example, backed into Tom Paul's brand new Lincoln Continental in the parking lot, and he had to figure out how to break the news to him. So he said, quote, Tom Paul, who's just giving you a brand new ovation of guitar, Waylon asked. You did, Waylon, Tom Paul answered. Tom Paul, who's the best friend you've got in the world? You are, Waylon. Tom Paul, who stands behind you when no one else will? You do, Waylon. Tom Paul, who just backed into your Lincoln Continental? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but, but they apparently they apparently made nice over some Coke and Jack Daniels, and everything was fine. The studio at Hillbilly Central was almost like a laboratory, though. They'd record for up to five days at a stretch with no interference from anyone and no interference from you know sleep. Waylon and Tom Paul, <laughs> really close friends, like they would autograph pictures to each other and write to my best friend Tom Paul to my best friend Waylon leading Shel Silverstein at one point to go, aren't you boys spreading this shit just a little bit thin? <laughs> but uh, as with Shell's close friends, they could, they could argue over something or argue over nothing, but they pushed each other to be better. Now, Willie Nelson was around a lot at this point, too, to help produce Waylon's forthcoming album and to play guitar. When it was complete, Waylon delivered it to RCA, but there was just one problem. The company had a rule that RCA artists had to record in the RCA studios, and Waylon had not done that. That was a studio rule, but RCA also had a contract with the Engineers Union stipulating that all, all RCA material be recorded in their studios with union engineers. Executive Jerry Bradley had actually gone to Washington once to ask for a waiver for one artist on one occasion and had been immediately shut down by union higher-ups. Whelan, as I said, had done this entire new record in Hillbilly Central. Quote, we can't release this, he was told. Quote, that's all you got, Whelan told them, who added that this would be the process going forward so rca had a choice they could shelve a new record from an emerging star that was becoming their biggest country seller or they could release it and risk losing the union contract eventually they bit the bullet and shipped the album and the union did sever the contract and that essentially knocked over a domino all rca artists had the cost for recording including paying those union engineers deducted from their royalties Wayland had upset the apple cart forever when other artists saw what he'd done, everybody followed suit. People like Porter Wagner owned their own studios, so they just started recording there. Or they re would record with a friend or anywhere else that was could be had at a lower cost than the RCA studios. RCA lost their monopoly, and they ended up having to sell their recording studios as a result. Now, partly because he actually wanted it and partly because he just wanted to screw with them, Waylon tried to buy one of them. <laughs> And Chet, Chet Atkins, one of the label bosses, said, quote, you've got the nerve of Hitler. You're the reason we're having to sell it. And they wouldn't sell it to him. So that's, you know, we, we talk a lot about Wayland. We talk about 
the crazy annex and we talk about the, the rebel attitude and, and the, the outlaw stuff and the great music and everything. But this was like a tangible thing that he did. This made an impact on every artist in Nashville because they were under RCA's thumb, had to use their studios, had to pay for recording time and had to pay engineers union pay. And now they could just go to like Porter Wagner's house and do it for much cheaper. So, so this wait, was, where, 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 where are we sitting in year wise? We are on about 1974, 1975. Okay. But all the trouble proved to be worth it for RCA. The album that was called This Time became Waylon's bestseller to date, and it hit number four on the country album charts, making it his highest starting album to date. The title track was significant as well, as it gave Waylon, who at this point was 37 years old, his first ever number one country hit. So we're going to hear that one right now. This is Waylon Jennings with This Time. This time If you want me to come back It's up to you But remember I won't allow the things you used to do Gonna have to toe the mark and walk the line This time will be the last time This time If I should feel unwanted I won't stay Each tomorrow Will depend on the love you give today it's all up to you to keep in mind This time will be the last time This time should be anything like the other time This time And we're back. All righty. What'd y'all think of that one? That is a road song. Yes, it is. That's a driving song. Beat up a trucker. Mm -hmm. And again, we've gotten now, we're settling much more into the classic idea of what Waylon sounds like, as far as I'm concerned. It almost sounds like a more classic take on country, too. It's, I mean... Obviously, within the con, like you said, we're mid seventies at this point. Uh, about se- about seventy four, yeah. There's something about this that feels. I mean, it's a newer take on it, but it feels like an old country song. There's, a, it's got that tone to it. So my basic thought on that song is that it was okay. It was a little bit repetitive. Like if I'm going to be nitpicky about one of you know country's greatest voices, it could get a little repetitive, but. Garth Brooks, I believe, said it best when he said that in the the 60s, they would just end the songs. <laughs> and in the 70s, they didn't know how to end a song. Right. So it just went on and on. And so it just goes on and on and on. And then but it seems like on this particular album, it goes on and on and on. But it fades out at the speed of smell. Like, right. Just it just the vocals just keep stepping down and down. You're like, is it going to end? Just going to go silent. So. I like it. I like, I love his voice. His voice is impeccable. And he hits, he hits this time, like he hits it with a tonality that just kind of sends a full body shiver through you. And that's my professional breakdown. He's really, he's really hit vocally his kind of sweet spot here, I think. And this, this, that is much more classic Waylon. 
there's still there's still the range. He can still hit the high note. But vocally, he's he's really in his sweet spot now. So Waylon had essentially won, but he still got static from RCA on several fronts. It wasn't uncommon for him to go into the office of executive Jerry Bradley and for lengthy, loud scream and cussing matches to break out. Bradley recalled that the first time he met Waylon, he got such a long, loud cussing that he eventually just left the room. <laughs> he, just, he, just, he just left. On one occasion, though, there was no real way out. With an office full of people sitting within earshot, literally horrified and frightened, the two were going at it. Waylon said at some point, Bradley called him a liar. Apparently, talking reckless didn't play well with old Hoss, who at that point told Bradley to meet him outside, and that's where they would settle things. So he was going to he was going to kick RCA president's ass. Bradley either declined or some other folks intervened at that point. That's good, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I, I'm now, sorry, I, w- I wouldn't want to be like gentlemen, gentlemen. Let's use our words in the middle of that. Like no, no. I feel like I feel like at some point a piece of furniture or like a mic stand or or an instrument because they're not afraid to break guitars in this story would probably mm-hmm. like you know meet my jaw. And it would not be good. So I would just, all right, I'm walking out too. Yeah. They need like a real boss secretary to go, gentlemen, inside voices, we have company. <laughs> um, Waylon wouldn't just go at it with executives from his own label. Willie Nelson around this time was working on a new album for his new label. And it was something very different for country. It was a concept album about a man on the run from the law after killing his wife and her lover. It put the Western in country and Western, and it was a very sparse recording with some songs featuring only three or four instruments. Willie cut it with his band in a matter of days, and the whole thing was mixed, tracked, and overdubbed in three days and cost less than $20,000 total to make. Neil Reshin and Willie were going to go to New York to play it the then head of CBS Records, Bruce Lundball. They asked Waylon to come along. After the tape played for about a song and a half, Lundball stopped it and said that it didn't sound complete, like it was a demo. He said there was, quote, some pretty good things here, but that it needed to be sent to Billy Sherrill in Nashville for some, quote, sweetening up. Now, if you're not familiar, Willie has some very wild stories in his background. When one of his wives found him in bed with another woman, she waited until he passed out and then meticulously sewed him up in his sheets and then beat the shit out of him with a broom handle. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's a Wow. <laughs> The patience she and she probably hand sewed him too. <laughs> I think so. Yes, yes, she did. <laughs> On another, Willie had to fend off an angry husband with a two by four. His tour bus was parked in a random parking lot once when he heard dozens of gunshots ring out. Willie exited his bus wearing nothing but a pair of cut off blue jean shorts with two pistols stuck in the waistband and asked what in the hell was going on. <laughs> there was a bunch of police officers who completely. They forgot what they were shooting at and lined up for autographs and pictures with Willie because it was Texas and that's just what you do in Texas. Oh my God. So, you know, quick aside, have referenced Tales from the Tour Bus several times, the fantastic Mike Judge series. Which, by animated. the way, if you're interested in if you're interested in listening to more about the mind of Mike Judge, you can check out Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog's episode with Mike where they do a in-depth interview on oh, yeah. basic brought to you by the Pantheon network. Shameless plug. Very nice. And the Pantheon network uh, coming up a little later. As a matter of fact, believe it or not. Ooh. Um, but, but anyway, so I was looking for it online because I'm cheap and I don't pay for to stream. So. <laughs> so, I'm, so I'm trying to find it for free and I thought I'd found it and I clicked on it and it wasn't the episode, which I did eventually find all the episodes I wanted to watch for free, but it was a comedian who had just binged watched the country season of Tales from the Tour Bus. And I think maybe it was Bill Burr or somebody like that. But he made a great point. He, he said, is a person. You know, yep. He said, these people lived lives that almost can't be lived anymore. The, the hmm. things that we've talked about with, with Waylon and Willie and, and some of the stuff we're going to talk about coming up with Hank Williams and all, all these all these people, the ridiculous annex, the open drug use, the shooting people. and like that stuff getting sewed up in the sheets and beat with a broom handle and all of these things that you almost can't live like this now because a there's cameras everywhere social media you know conventional media if, if you know you showed showed up for a concert hooted out of your skull and you start screaming that you know there, there are devils chasing you and you run off well now there's there's like a big there's like a big um 
you know, there, there becomes like a nationwide vigil. You've got a problem and you need to go to treatment and you got therapy and you need to, and you need to like this, this stuff. And you certainly can't just wave guns around and shoot people. anymore. I mean, people do, unfortunately, but if you're famous, like you can't get away with that now. Back then it was just like, you know, Jerry Lee was just, uh, was just fun. And here's a little, a couple hundred bucks and everything's forgotten. You know, it wouldn't work that way now. Would y'all agree with that? All right. Here's my question. When does his life stop being like a cartoon you would see on like liquid TV in the 90s? Like this is just insanity. Like his his life (laughs) is a cartoon. His life is a country song. Yeah. But as far as that goes, the the way that I was saying that, you know, I think it was Bill Burr said, if you like, you almost can't live these kind of lives anymore. Do y'all agree with that? Like this is stuff that almost can't happen now. Yeah. If you don't know the right people. Like you can, or, you or can live if, this. If, if you can, it's significantly more difficult. Oh, I'm not saying it's easy, but it wasn't easy back then. But if you want to live this life, I'm trying to think of any current day rock star that lives this life. And I just, I don't think it happens. Like, I don't, I don't think that, I mean, I get, like, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like one even pop star that might have problems like this. And I just, I'm not coming up with anything. Like yeah, maybe it's, it's, I know I know Demi Lovato had some issues, but like it's not it's not like you know when you like Steven Tyler, you know you'd hear when he go to rehab and stuff like that. You'd hear like right. the crazy drug stories and like Axl Rose and like, but like in the modern day, I don't think. I mean, I'm also like super not plugged into it anymore. But I feel like yeah, there's, but also there's like now media media was a lot more willing to look the other way back then than they probably are now, and social media didn't exist. Well, also, um, I think people are afraid to, in the world of social media and TMZ, to ever do anything like this in public. Like, you know, snorting lines of cocaine at the Viper Room doesn't happen anymore. That's that is a completely bygone era. Like the the days of the limelight are done. Like like two episodes ago, when Waylon brought and and it was unloaded, but he brought a pistol in the studio and was waving it around and saying he was going to shoot people's fingers off if they played pickup notes. See now, somebody would have recorded that and it would be on TMZ and then he'd be sued and he'd probably be in jail. And back then it was just like, yeah, you know, it's just, that's just wild. <laughs> that's just wild. But anyway, I just thought that was a good point that he made. But so, like I said, Willie has some wild stories, but Waylon said Willie was the only truly free spirit that he ever met. He said he believed things would work out as they were supposed to. He just wanted to play his music. He was also very non-confrontational. And that, of course, is not a word one would use to describe his pal Waylon. Hey, TJ, I really hate to interrupt because, uh, well, this is bonkers. But we do need to take a short sponsor break. And we're back. You're damn right we're back, Hollis. And we're going to talk about Waylon. After Lundball gave his assessment, in which he said that Willie's recordings had an unfinished and like a demo, Waylon gave him one back, calling him, quote, a tone-deaf, ten-eared son of a bitch. Quote, huh. Neil, Waylon yelled, you manage both me and Willie, but I tell you, if you don't get that GD tape off that machine and get us out of here, then you won't be my manager, and I guarantee you won't be Willie's. He then told Lundball, quote, you ain't got a GD clue what Willie Nelson's music is about, and he got up to leave. Lundball called out to Waylon and told him to come back and ask what he was missing. Waylon said that, that he was listening to, was what 70,000 people gathered in Dripping Springs to listen to and drove from as far away as Colorado and Kansas to hear. Quote, Billy Sherrill may be great, but he ain't got a fucking thing to do with Willie Nelson. All he can do is cover him up, Waylon said. Uh. Lundball listened to the rest of the album and said that he still didn't get it, but that he would release it as is. A year and a half later, he walked into Waylon's office and handed him something. He said, quote, this is from that Ten-eared, tone-deaf son of a bitch. You were right, he said. What he handed him was a gold record, certifying 500,000 sales Woo! of that album that Waylon had fought for, which Woo-wee. is one you've probably heard the name of, that being Willie's The Red-Headed Stranger. Now, because Waylon and Willie were so close, and they're just, they're almost linked in your mind when you think of one, you think of the other. And because, I mean, it's possible we would not have gotten to hear The Red-Headed Stranger the way Willie intended us to hear it if it had not been for Waylon. I said that we actually listened to a song from it. Now, they're all great. The album is fantastic. I think Chip Flippo, up until his dying day, argued it was the greatest country album of all time. 
And this is probably the best known song from it. So we're actually going to hear some Willie. A little bit of a break from Waylon, but I don't think anybody's going to mind as we're listening to Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. In twilight glow I see Blue eyes crying in the rain When we kissed goodbye and part I knew we'd never meet again Love is like a dying ember And only memories remain I'll remember Blue eyes crying in the rain classic it really i'm is. sorry it's... you know what though i i i do think there's a a better duo with willie nelson and that is kermit the frog <laughs> they harmonize much better <laughs> sure. local tonality matches up <laughs> yeah but i mean that's just that that's an absolute classic and thank god we stood up and, and fought for us to be able to hear that the way willie intended for us to yeah i mean it's nice to use your voice for an artist and the creativity and yeah he used his powers for good yes he did okay so that was willie nelson's blue eyes crying in the rain speaking of willie waylon still hit the road hard so he was basically always in the studio or on stage but almost never at home on one swing through the home state of he and willie texas around this time he took along country journalist chet flippo who i've referenced several times and he documented a lot of this trip Waylon was coming off a string of tough one-nighters through Colorado and New Mexico. He would be playing at the Armadillo World Headquarters, which we mentioned in our last episode in Austin. Nearly 2,000 people were crammed into the club for the show, and the thin partition that separated crowd from stage was barely hanging on by thread. The place was wild, with Waylon saying that the crowd seemed to ripple in the direction of his every move. The Lone Star and Shinerbach was flowing. Everyone was drunk. The Armadillo was fairly permissive, where weed and other substance consumptions were concerned and not surprisingly things got out of hand a fight broke out stage right when whoa, a whoa, truck whoa, driver whoa, whoa. and a hippie whoa whoa, yep. whoa you're suggesting that there was violence at a Waylon jennings concert i'm shocked gasp and swoon my pearls are firmly clutched yep. and uh and i am wailing and pulling my hair yep at the horror you're just telling lies now travis you're just telling lies <sighs> yep, a fight broke out stage right when a, a truck driver and a hippie bumped into one another and neither would back down or apologize. Quote, wait, who the you hip, pushing, wait, hippie? A wait, cowboy the, yelled. Wait, the hippie? The hippie? The hippie? The hippie? Yep. What? Yep. Who are you pushing, hippie? That's like finding out that a Canadian can be rude. I just, I don't yeah. see it. Yep, but the, a, cow, a cowboy who had joined the fracas yelled who you pushing hippie the hippie yelled back quote up yours redneck motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> now keep in mind keep in mind keep in mind keep in mind the, these are texas hippies so how is that any different they're bigger 
<laughs> they're, they're from they're from Texas. Oh my god! Okay, continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just for starters, they're from Texas. <laughs> what else do I need? To, what else needs need to be said about this? I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Waylon managed to dodge a full can of beer that was thrown at his head. <laughs> bottles and fists were flying everywhere. He managed to get to the midway point of the show for an intermission, and he. You know, very quickly got off stage where he was greeted by University of Texas football coach Daryl Royal, Billy Joe Shaver, and artist Jim Franklin, all of whom posed for pictures with Waylon around a giant Texas flag. <laughs> Commander Cody of Lost Planet Airman fame what? managed to get up to Waylon and introduce himself by saying, quote, hi, I'm Cody. Freaky tonight, ain't it? <laughs> That's amazing. Well, or at this point, are you just waiting on like Dick Van Patten or <laughs> nothing would surprise me at this point. I mean, it's really like or Fred Travelina or somebody to, to, to walk up to him. Yeah. Again, nothing would surprise me. Not neither of them did, uh, but who did was a six foot tall groupie named Francie. She sauntered up to Wayland and tried to get some alone time with him in a dressing room. He had politely spoken to her at his hotel, where she basically stalked him, then at a restaurant, and now again backstage. All that was interrupted by a big cowboy who stiff armed everybody aside and said, Hey, Wayland, remember when we won district? Woo wee, now there was a by God football team. So this guy was obviously a former football teammate of Wayland. <laughs> yeah. Waylon played a second set and one encore, but then he managed to sneak out the back to a car that was waiting parked on the sidewalk. He jumped in and the car sped off just ahead of a surging Francie, by the way. Waylon said she was, quote, a good old girl. Basically, being stalked was putting him in a bad frame of mind. The only problem was that when they sped off, they hit the curb going from the sidewalk to the road and knocked the muffler off of the car. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so... Now it was making an enormous racket, and it could have attracted the attention of police. And, you know, Will, that might have been bad. Perhaps given the, the goings-on, yes. Yes. Since Waylon might have been carrying some powdered uh, energy, yeah. we'll call it. Um, he'd managed to avoid trouble at the Mexico border and in an airport, both fairly recently, because border guards or airport security had recognized him, and I think both times he was carrying. Just oh, by the way. And they just let him through. Yeah. Right. So he laid back, he lit a cigarette, and he just kind of chilled for a minute. And he said that he thought that he and the band had done a hell on the show. He also mentioned to his driver that he was hungry. Apparently, Austin was not known for its after-hours eateries in the mid-1970s, mm. but he spotted a row of vending machines at a Texaco gas station. Oh, Quote, pull in there, Hoss, he directed. He got out and started feeding quarters into the machines, but none of them worked. So... He got really irritated and he started kicking one of the machines. Quote, come on, you some bitch. Give, damn you. Finally, kicking it repeatedly with his cowboy boots, shook everything loose, freeing many bags of chips, nuts, and candy from their <laughs> glass confines. Quote, that'll <laughs> teach the bastards, he hollered. Back in the studio at Hillbilly Central, Waylon was working on the follow-up to his big hit album this time. Now, I've mentioned before that Waylon was not an especially prolific songwriter, but when he wrote songs, they were generally very good, and he penned a great one for this new album. The song was called Rainy Day Woman, which is not to be confused with Bob Dylan's Rainy Day Women, number 12 and 35. It should be noted that a, quote, Rainy Day Woman in Waylon's vernacular was basically a groupie. So I guess Francie was a Rainy Day Woman. According to the article I referenced a few minutes ago from Chip Flippo, in most country music circles, groupies were actually referred to as snuff queens. Oh my, which is that's a, interesting. Not a term I've ever heard used for groupies. No, that's a new one on me. That sounds more like you're doing adult films that end badly to me. Yeah, yeah. So introducing this topic to you gives me the opportunity to tell you a quick story. And we will have to back up just a few years, but I discovered this tidbit as I was writing this episode and felt it needed to be included. Waylon would play in California pretty frequently, particularly a place called the Palomino Club. Now, y'all lived in the Los Angeles area for like 20 years. Was it still there? Are you familiar with it? I don't think, no, I'm not familiar with the Palomino Club. Yeah. In LA? Huh. It doesn't ring a bell, but. No. It may not no, be LA. But, if, be... but of course, like, I wouldn't say, like, later on in life, we were two hip kids. So it could still be there. Oh, uh, there is that. I don't, right. I don't know. Hang okay. out, karaoke bar. So if this is like a club yeah. club, probably not going to know it. Okay. All righty. Well, Waylon had a very good following in that area in general and at the Palomino Club in particular. And among the famous admirers who frequently came to see him was Phil Spector. Yes, oh, crazy hair, killed his wife, Phil Spector, who supposedly said every Waylon song 
should go to number one and that he had the potential to be as big as Elvis Presley. A piece in the Los Angeles Times by Robert Hilburn, published just after Wayland's death in 2002, noted that Hilburn uh, was interviewing Bob Dylan sometime in the mid-70s and mentioned that he was going to California for a Wayland concert. He said that Dylan enthused that he loved Wayland, and he actually asked Hilburn to ask Wayland if he'd like to cover one of his songs. So that's pretty high price. Now, Wayland actually had already cut one on that little independent album. We actually heard the the song. Um, which, Which one was it? Don't think twice. It's all right. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which I think we all really liked, as I recall. Yeah, it was a good version. Yeah, part of the reason Waylon and John Lennon hit it off so well, which we mentioned a few episodes back when they met at the Grammys, was that Lennon was a fan of Waylon's and said that Waylon's cover of Norwegian Wood was perhaps his favorite Beatles cover ever. Again, fairly high praise, but. Boylan also became very friendly with somebody that we'll be doing a series on in the near future, that being Graham Parsons. Ah, yes. Yep. Boylan said that Parsons told, in what is labeled a Bird's member said, he thought what kept Boylan from blowing up bigger earlier in the 70s, and of course that blow up was finally happening by the mid-70s, just after Graham's death, was the safe, sanitized production of Chet Atkins and Danny Davis. He said there was a huge disconnect between the Boylan that he saw on stage and the one that he would hear on record. It just, he said they just weren't, didn't sound like the same guy. Waylon said that Graham was the only person he ever met who could take more drugs than him, <laughs> which is something, I guess. And I then have to ask you, so what does all this have to do with Rainy Day Woman? Well, Graham had a relationship with Pamela DeBars, who either still does or previously did have a podcast on the Pantheon Network. Uh, she did, yep. yes. Yes. Um, now, she, of course, is known as the world's most famous groupie, or Randy Day Woman, if you will. And she met Waylon through Graham at the Palomino Club. In a 2012 interview, she said that Waylon said to her, as she did, he called her at 5 a.m. and then showed up at her place. She said she was mostly into, quote, androgynous little Brits, but here she was with, quote, this hulking He-Man. He was out of her realm, but she went with it because she said she loved his music. And this is probably more than you ever wanted to know. But she said, quote, he tore me apart, man. Huh. <laughs> wow. There it is. Yep. After their, quote, fabulous time, he looked at all the pictures of rock stars on her wall and said, do you really like all this long hair and everything? She said that she did and that it was the, quote, end thing at the time. She said not long after that is when he grew his hair out a little bit. And she said that she saw him off and on for about three years. Quote, Waylon was one of my main dudes. He was married the whole time, but in those days there was no internet, so you didn't know, she said. And I've done some checking, and I can't verify one way or the other whether any of the pictures that adorned the apartment of Pamela DeVars featured any members of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. All right, Tom McGinnis, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Tom McGuinness, and that was your federally mandated Manfred Man reference of the podcast. I hope you are satisfied. Oh, Tom McGuinness, we are satisfied. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. We always are. Waylon said that, in general, he did not think that a woman's sexuality or her sex life had anything to do with who she was as a human being. Now, having said all that, let's hear the song that we've been leading up to. This is Waylon Jennings with a song that would hit number two on the country charts. This is Rainy Day Woman.
are back. That's a jaunty tune. Cole Hollis wasn't the most prolific songwriter ever, but when he wrote them, they were good. I love that song. I love Randy Day One. Good song. What say you on that one, Will? I enjoyed it. It's a little bit different from stuff I think of when I think of Waylon. No, it's a good one. That's towing up a little bit more to the rock line to me. I mean, there's there's still stealing some traditional country instruments in it, but it has more of a rock feel to me than yeah. some of the other ones we've heard up to now. Yeah, it would seem more like, again, classic country. Yeah. The album that that song comes from would be called The Ramblin' Man. It outsold this time. It got to number three on the country charts, his highest-ranking album uh, to, the, to that date. And it was nominated for several Country Music Association awards. Waylon was up for Male Vocalist of the Year, Album of the Year, and Entertainer of the Year. There was just one little problem, that being that Waylon hated the CMA, and the feeling was very mutual. <laughs> <laughs> several years before, Waylon's song, Only Daddy That'll Walk the Line, was nominated, and he was to perform it on the telecast. Right before he was to go on, though, producers told him they were strapped for time and instructed him to cut the song to one verse and one chorus. Waylon threw up what I can only describe as jazz hands and said, quote, well, why don't I just dance across the stage like this and grin? Maybe just do one line. That'll save you a lot of time. (laughs) They told him to do as he was told or to get out that they didn't need him. Utilizing some rather colorful or perhaps off colorful language, Waylon told them he didn't particularly care whether he was in the show or not. And he informed them he was leaving. He told them at some point they would need him and he would not be there. And that would happen many years later. Mm -hmm. So he walked off. And this would be far, far from the last time that Waylon would say screw it and walk out or off of something. And we'll get to many more instances as time Uh, goes along. Cannot wait. Yep. So he had no intention of going to the awards ceremony this year, except that his wife, Jesse Coulter, had released her debut album, I'm Jesse Coulter, and it spawned a huge hit called I'm Not Lisa. That hit number one on the country charts, and it crossed over and hit number four on the pop charts, and it eventually went on to sell one million albums, or excuse me, one million copies, the the single did. Of everyone who would ultimately fall under the outlaw label that we'll be discussing in our next episode, I'm Not Lisa was the biggest pop hit. She had the biggest pop hit of any of them. Waylon's biggest was several years away and would top out at number 21. He very laughably said he couldn't go pop with a mouthful of firecrackers. Willie's Always on My Mind would get to number five many years later. Johnny Cash, if you want to include him, did get to number two a few years before with a boy named Sue. But she was up for some awards, and Waylon said he understood how a new artist wants acceptance, so he agreed very grudgingly to go to the ceremony with her. Quote, Waylon, you're not here to start any trouble, are you? He was asked <laughs> when he arrived. As they were seated, Jesse, Jesse told him that he actually should have thrown a punch at whoever said that, and I'm surprised he didn't, frankly. At some point, during the proceedings, Neil Reshin came over to Waylon and whispered in his ear that he'd won male vocalist of the year, but Jesse had won nothing. He was disappointed, but he was also angry. If the awards were supposed to be a secret until that envelope was opened, how could Neil have known that? He learned that the awards were basically a lot of horse trading. We'll shift a few hundred of our voters to your guy if you'll do the same for our writer, is basically how it worked. Waylon walked rather unexcitedly to the stage, said thank you, and then had a seat. Host Glenn Campbell exulted, though, quote, all I can say, Waylon, is it's about damn time. Now, Waylon didn't win either of the other awards that he was nominated for. Very, very memorably, the Entertainer of the Year Award that year that he was nominated for went to John Denver. That one was presented by the Silver Fox himself, Charlie Rich. He famously looked at the winner, pulled out a cigarette lighter, set the envelope on fire and sarcastically blurted out, my friend, Mr. John Denver, <laughs> which is, if you've never seen that, it's on YouTube. Go find it. It's, it's hysterical. He's so drunk. And he does. He gets his lighter out like a, and I mean like an old good, like Zippo lighter. And he, he sets the envelope on fire. And John Denver was not there in person. He was be- beaming in via satellite. So he had no idea that that was happening. It was pretty funny. Wayland said apparently some people actually did try to stop him from doing that, but that it was apparently best to just let Charlie do whatever Charlie was going to do when he got drunk. By the way, if you're wondering Wayland's reaction to how things played out, quote, John Denver. Now that's what I call country. <laughs> so he was, he was not impressed. Wayland was soon back in the friendly confines of Hillbilly Central working on his next record. With this time and the Ramblin' Man hitting it big, Willie's new efforts were selling well and chris shell silverstein tom paul glazer 
Willie and others were having huge success. There were radio stations who wanted to know exactly what they were supposed to call this new brand of country, however. Hazel Smith was a journalist, publicist, and historian who at the time was sort of like the den mother, Hillbilly Central. In fact, she authored a regular newspaper column which borrowed that name. It was called Hillbilly Central. WCSE in Asheboro, North Carolina called, saying they wanted to start a show that would feature nothing but this new breed of country music, but said they needed to know what to call it. She had looked in the dictionary and seen the definition, quote, operating outside of the written law next to the word outlaw. It's called outlaw country, she told them. So if you're ever wondering, was there a grand design and a big marketing scheme? No, Hazel Smith looked in the dictionary. That's where the term outlaw country came from. Waylon didn't care much for labels at all and didn't particularly like this one either. He loved Hazel, but when she told him the name, he said, okay, and... He also thought that it might cause a little bit of confusion because there was a country rock band at the time that was actually called the Outlaws. Still, it stuck. Waylon got to thinking about country's original outlaw as the outlaw term started to get thrown around, a guy whose son he had gotten to be friends with. There was a saying that he and the others in his band used whenever anything went wrong or bad, and that saying contained this particular outlaw's name. As Waylon drove to Hillbilly Central one day, some lyrics popped in his head. He grabbed a pen and an envelope and scrawled down some lyrics as he drove. It would be the lead single on his next album, but it would be something else too. Outlaw was about to get bigger than anything in the history of country music, and Waylon Jennings was going to be the leader of the pack. And that, friends, is where we shall hit the pause button for today. Any thoughts, fellas? Ladies and fellas, chicks and dudes, whatever you wish to be called. It's interesting how he's, like, again, essentially giving Willie Nelson a leg up in his career, and that's going to come back, I think, too back to Waylon in a good way. And I love the story of how he just gave RCA the middle finger. That was, <laughs> that was amazing. You know, we talk about artists that was and classic. their music, but you talk about lasting impact. And that's one of those moments where it changed the game. Completely. And we had, we had like two giant game changing moments in this episode. Cause I would, I would say telling RCA, no, I'm not going to come to your studio. No, I'm not going to pay union engineers. You're not going to deduct the the cost from my royalties. I'm not going to pay to record in your studios. I'll do it wherever I want to. Thoughts, LD? Again, it's cartoonish. Like you think like, oh, okay, his life has to level out now. His life has to level out now. His life has to level out. Is, it, is his life ever going to level? No? Okay. No, it's just a cartoon? Nope. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Nope. Yeah, no, it's just, it's bananas. It's like, how do you even have time to make music, and let alone good music, which he does? Right. Um, I think that's the thing that I'm losing is the fact that through all this insanity, he is creating some of the most iconic country music that we have. And so you can get Correct. you can get lost in that fact. But he's making these songs that, you know, have been in the lexicon for years, almost 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think I think you lose that. He is an incredible artist, but he's also just a cartoon. He's a cartoon human. I'm sorry. Like, who buys a pound of cocaine? Pound of coke? A pound? A pound? A pound? I would. I don't know anything about cocaine, but I'm assuming like, does it have a shelf life? Can you just like leave it out in the opening and it's fine for like? Because or stamp it with expiration I mean, like, date. Yeah. Used by. Like, June I'm just 2nd. wondering, like, how long did it take him to finish that? And how many people did it take to finish? It? Did he finish it on his own? You, I have so many cocaine questions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. That's my thoughts. Is that you know it's easy to get lost in this Looney Tune story, but he's still got a thousand songs in him, and he's standing up for other artists, and he's helping them get like see their vision through, and he's doing all these incredible things, and also having the life of the coyote. So that and th- that's my thought. Yeah, yeah, being the wild man. Yeah, I mean, th- just this episode alone, alone, we had like two big game changing moments. Him standing up for Willie's redheaded stranger album, him basically breaking the engineers unions back. That's not a small thing, but then you just throw in snorting Atlanta dog and Pamela DeBars. And there's a giant fight between like hippies and bikers and rednecks and whoever else at the Armadillo world headquarters. And he assaults a vending machine. <laughs> it's, like, it's like you said, it's like, is this a Hanna-Barbera production? This, this has just been a, a, a freaking roller coaster. And and I hate to say it, but if it is a roller coaster, we're not to the top of the biggest hill yet. <laughs> Which is just scary to like, think. We haven't, we haven't hit the scary downhill slope and the corkscrew and the loop-de-loop. So all those things are coming and some of them will come next week. But having said all that, we hope you will join us next week for 
next episode of Waylon Jennings, and I will turn it over to LD now to uh, read the socials, and then we'll leave you alone. Actually, uh, possibly incorrect about the next episode, because it might actually be a slap nuts, because we do have our new Patreon, and we might be doing that slap nuts with them. So we're going to get that all worked out. And again, our new tiers are up if you guys are interested in becoming a Patreon. And that is for a dollar. We have the thank you Cleveland tier. And that's a shout out on the podcast. That's $1. Like I said, we have for $5 a month. It's groupie and you get to choose the slap nuts category and you get to guest host on that show. Then you get the, at the $10 tier, we have a backstage pass. It's gets all the previous tiers and you get to choose a person in our draft and you get to pick the host that will cover it. And our highest tier for $20 a month, you get all the previous tiers and you'll actually get to join us on a series of your choice. So those are our tiers right now. And if you're interested in donating, you can just head over to patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. Don't bother checking out Twitter. I think we talked about this last week. It's it's our year anniversary of not actually posting or going on Twitter because I lost the password and I'm too lazy to go to forgot password and log back in. But you can check us out on Instagram. We know that password, so we're good there. That's Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Facebook, Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Still not saying our website. You can check us out on TikTok at TikTok. I did it again. Dang it. You can find us on TikTok at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod, and you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. And please make sure to check out all the other awesome Pantheon podcasts at PantheonPodcast.com. So that's pretty much it from my side. I guess all I have to say is, Will, do you have anything you'd like to say to the audience? No, I, I'm enjoying this this ride. It's kind of crazy. And like you said, you wait for it to just kind of diffuse, but it no, never does. It is not. It doesn't. It never hits cruising altitude. <laughs> yep. All right. And then all I have to say is thank you guys so much for checking out this episode. Please make sure to check out our next episode, which might either be episode eight of Waylon Jennings, or it might be a slap nuts, depending on scheduling availability. And then again, just love you guys. Thank you for joining us. And I'm going to pass the reins back over to my big brother to wrap up the episode. All right. We're going to close out this episode of the Waylon Jennings series with a song that became kind of a signature tune. One of my favorites. We're going to Rock out as we go with Old Hoss himself and I'm a Rambling Man. Love this song. Have a good night, guys. I've been down the Mississippi, down through New Orleans. Yes, I have. I've played in California. There ain't too much I haven't seen. I miss with your mind Your little heart won't beat
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 